0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Support for
1: this show comes from John Maxwell Taylor's Gravida Award-winning performance on the life of Swiss psychiatrist Carl Gustav Jung, now available in a stunning new 3D audio set. To learn more, please visit www.johnmaxwelltaylor.com. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. My guest today is Dennis Covington. Dennis is a professor of creative writing at Texas Tech University. He's the author of two novels and three works of nonfiction. And his newest book is Revelation, A Search for Faith in a Violent Religious World. A review of the book appears in the March-April issue, of Spirituality and Health Magazine. Dennis Covington, welcome to Essential Conversations.
0: Thank you, Rami. It's good to talk to you.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. The book is fascinating. I want to start with a quote. You you actually quote Kayla Mueller in your book, and, and Kayla says, some people find God in church, some people find God in nature, some people find God in love, I Find God in Suffering. Is it safe to say that you, like Kayla, also found God in
0: suffering? It's true that uh, along the way during my life, I certainly feel like I have.
1: So is this book growing out of that experience?
0: It is. Uh, When I was a journalist during the Salvadoran Civil War, I had been a drunk but the suffering I saw there, particularly among the children, m- made me sober up and return to church. So that's interesting.
1: I mean, I understand the sobering up part. <laughs> I'm not so sure I understand the return to church part. So you see the suffering in the world, and that does that challenge your understanding of God? Or it somehow reinforced it? Or And, and share with us what your understanding of God is.
0: Boy, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I'll tell you, I met a young woman, a a child in El Salvador, whose father had had his head amputated and uh, left on the doorstep of the family home as a warning to members of the family and neighbors and so forth. When I got back from that trip, it happened to be around Christmas, and there was a festival, a Christmas Yuletide festival at a local church in Birmingham, Alabama. My wife and I went to it. And at the end of the service, the very last thing that happened was that a small child in the dark entered the sanctuary with a single candle. And we both understood at that moment who that child was. And we immediately started going back to church.
1: Wow. So that's, that really is a deepening of your faith then in, in a very, I was going to say existential, but sort of phenomenological way. You actually experienced the, this light-bringing child. Yes. Very, very powerful. So let, let's talk about the other side of this, though, so because you, the subtitle of your book, I mean, the, the title is Revelation. And then it says, A Search for Faith in a Violent Religious World. So I wasn't sure exactly whether you meant that the world was violent or that religion itself is intrinsically violent.
0: I actually think both of those things are true. I felt like that uh, the war, particularly in the Middle East, in Syria in particular, is viewed as a religious war. In retrospect, I really don't think so. I think it's a war like most wars. It has to do with the acquisition of territory, of wealth, of natural resources, but that unscrupulous people are using the name of religion in order to exonerate them from the horrors that they're committing.
1: So when you look at that, I mean, I, lots of people will say, look, it's not religion that's causing these wars. Religion is just used as a an excuse, and the war is really driven by something else. Do you think you could really get people to do what people are doing over there and elsewhere if it wasn't religious? I mean, are are people just, are these somehow evil people? Uh, or are they people trapped in a religious ideology that and doesn't it simply excuse evil, it redefines evil as good? Could this happen without religion?
0: Oh, I, I think yes. I think it could happen without religion. Uh, the leader of ISIS, for instance, I don't think he is a religious person at all. On the other hand, we fought wars and done terrible things in the name of freedom, you know? So it just it just happens to be one of those uh, catch-all phrases that, yes, it will motivate the young fighters to give their lives. But on the other hand, it's a sinful and dangerous occupation.
1: And And how is it, I mean, do you think all religions are equally
0: susceptible to this? You know, I don't know much about world religions. I I really don't. I don't know much about Islam at all. And what I saw over there, uh, I saw Muslims doing extraordinary things to heal the sick, to minister to children and women, Uh, We have a blanket impression, I think, over here about what the Muslim uh, character is, and I found the best parts of it over there. Although, at the same time, I saw the results of the worst part of people who claim that religion in the same way that Christians sometimes claim their religion to do hideous things. So there's a sense,
1: this is what I'm hearing, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I get the sense that you're trying to sort of excuse religion, in a sense, from the atrocities that are done in its name by saying, well, the people who do this are not religious, they're just using the cover of religion. Do you have any sense that religion is prime for this kind of abuse?
0: Yeah, and perhaps we're using the wrong word here, uh, religion. What I was searching for was faith. And uh, I was using the particular definition in Hebrews 11.1, 1, which is that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, that seems to me to be very different from what most people I know and grew up with thought that faith was, uh, they they felt like it was belief. It, It was just belief. If you believe in God and you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and so forth, that's what faith is. But if you look at it the way that the author of Hebrews does, it is the actual substance of the things we hope for. Now, what do we hope for? We hope for peace. You know we hope for the healing, we hope for the future of our children, and to the extent that religion does not offer us that, then yeah, we're on the wrong track
1: so mm. let's let's talk about Christianity for a bit so here's let me let me sort of lay something out for you and then get your take on it. And, and I hope this is not disrespectful. I'm looking at this more from an academic point of view. I've been professor of religion at uh, Middle Tennessee State University for a decade. And so so I'm putting on my my academic hat. And I'm looking at Christianity, and I'm wondering, you know, Christianity and rabbinic Judaism grew up, out of out of biblical Judaism, they're, they're, we always some people will say that Christianity is a daughter religion of Judaism, but Judaism, as it's been lived for the last two thousand years or so, is really a sister religion of Christianity, and they both come out of the the Hebrew Bible, which is primarily or, or sort of overwhelmingly a priestly religion with sacrifice at its heart. I mean, the prophets oftentimes rail against sacrifice, and the rabbis and the priests were at loggerheads. Christianity and rabbinic Judaism differ in their approach to sacrifice. Judaism sort of moves beyond it and and doesn't use the paradigm very much, whereas Christianity rests on that priestly sacrificial paradigm, making the change from the the earlier Jewish uh, sacrificial practice from the notion of you have to kill animals continually, basically, to get right with God, as opposed to the the Christian view is, no, there's one sacrifice, there's one final sacrifice. It's almost as if when the Muslim says Muhammad is the final prophet, the seal of the prophets, Jesus as Christ is the seal of the sacrifice. And what I think is so fascinating about this this Christian understanding of sacrifice is that what ultimately is sacrificed is God Himself. I mean, God becomes Jesus and then is sacrificed. So, God, in a sense, Christianity is is what you get after the death of God, in a in a very loose way of of saying that. So, I'm just wondering if you feel, because of this, the the blood of, uh, symbolism of the sacrifice, and you know, there's there's a lot of of sacrificial language in Christianity, if Christianity lends itself to this notion of you must sacrifice yourself or you must sacrifice others, even though Jesus was supposed to be the final sacrifice. Is there a violence intrinsic to the the whole structure, not of Jesus's teaching, but of the church?
0: Boy, that's a difficult question. And yeah,
1: I, I knew it was as I
0: yeah. as I heard myself say it. No, that's that's fine. That's fine. I must confess, though, that I'm not a scholar of religion at all, which is one reason that one of my books is about serpent handlers. Because yeah,
1: that was a fascinating book, also. And you, you, you thought you would do that for a while.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, again, it was a literal interpretation of a specific passage from the book of Mark, in which Jesus, in his resurrected form, says that believers shall take up serpents. Uh, I took it to the nth degree, and I'm glad I had that experience, because it was my first real experience of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Now, I have to say about all this, my faith has gone this way and that. It's been turned upside down. It's been righted again. At the end of of Revelation, I think you probably may have gotten the impression that I no longer believed there was a God. That's not what I intended to say. I intended to say I'm not sure. And at that particular moment in the book, after the rape and murder of Kayla Mueller, I felt like if there was a God, he must be as distant as the stars.
1: So you, you sort of have that, I mean, I don't want to call you, uh, call you a deist, but you, you have that sense that God has abandoned us. I mean, almost like, you know, Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, is it that kind of thing?
0: Exactly. But you know, one thing that Jesus definitely wanted us to do, at least if the scripture is correct, is he wanted the disciples to witness him on the cross suffering. And so I think that as long as we're willing to do that, to enter into the suffering of others, then whatever our religion happens to be, we are probably doing the will of our our power, our God, our divinity.
1: So, you know, when I think about just what you, you, know, what you said, and when I read Scripture, the Christian, uh, you know, the, the New Testament, I, I understand, you know, that, yes, Jesus wants the disciples to see him suffering on the cross as a way of invoking their own compassion and then, you know, having them act in the world for the benefit of others who suffer. I'm just wondering if you have or had faith, you had your faith challenged when you think about a God who requires this kind of suffering. Right? I mean, the, in, in the Hebrew scripture, God requires, I mean, it's not put this way, but God requires the suffering of animals. I mean, they're not tortured, as in crucifixion, certainly, but they're all slaughtered because this is what is going to make God happy. At least this is what the Levites thought, the priests thought. Uh, and, and in Christianity, what the only sal- salvation we have is to placate God through belief in the death, uh, the salvific nature of the death of Jesus on the cross. What kind of God needs this kind of sacrifice? Why can't God simply either do what you did and say, "Hey, look, I'm leaving, good luck, or you know, do something a little more compassionate and say, look, I forgive everybody, just be nice. And sort of take the rabbinic approach. You know, do justly, this is from the prophet Micah, but do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. That's all that God requires. Why, why all of this stuff around sacrifice and death?
0: Well, I would be very disappointed if God required us to suffer. But I do think, uh, if God is just, that he does require us to enter the suffering of others.
1: And the suffering happens? By witnessing uh, which, yeah, yeah that's how we enter the suffering. Why do you think the suffering happens? God has nothing to do with that.
0: Well, that's, you know, there's so many things wrong in the world and I would never say that God is responsible for all those terrible things. Uh, on the other hand, I don't know the mind of God. I only know, you know, what I've primarily read in the, in the New Testament. I do know that Islam uh, shares many of the stories that are that are in the, our Bible, and that one of them happens to be the, um, the sacrifice that Abraham, or, or uh, who was it in, in Islam, is it? Uh, yeah,
1: Abraham sacrifices Ishmael in
0: Islam, Ishmael. Not, not Isaac. And uh, that's one of the major holidays over there. And you know, it's odd to walk around the street and see everybody slaughtering lambs and so forth. I, I don't understand all that, quite frankly. A ritual. A ritual doesn't mean much to me.
1: I mean, you say the same kind of thing in the Samaritan tradition where they're slaughtering the lambs for Passover. And, I mean, right. you know, if you're a meat eater, you're slaughtering something so that you can, you can eat. And, and you could, I mean, I'm a vegetarian, but you can understand people have to eat. But to have a God who requires this kind of slaughter, when God... Uh, it's him, or her itself doesn't eat, doesn't really need this. Uh, it, it just strikes me as as odd, and it seems now again. If I'm wrong, please correct me. But it seems the way you got around this is to say that God is is now distant, so you can't really look to God to fix the problems, or you can't really look to God uh, as someone to blame for the problems. Is that a fair assessment?
0: And Well, that feeling that God was distant occurred at the end of the book, and I'm not quite out of that yet, but I can't predict what the future will be, because as I say, it's been a roller coaster. It's been upside down, inside out.
1: But never to the point of actually, I mean, saying that God is distant is not the same as saying
0: there is no God. So you haven't gotten to that point no, no, I would never say that. What I would be more likely to say, and I told my younger daughter this a couple of years ago, is that maybe God is just everything. You know? And she said, Dad, you sound like a Hindu. You know?
1: <laughs> yes, you do. You sound like a, a pantheist or a panentheist. You, actually, you sound like me. So, yeah. so when, you, when you say that, when you say God is everything, how is that helpful to you?
0: Well, it kind of exonerates him in a way for all the terror. He has no choice. I mean, if he's everything, right. then even the horrible things that happen are part of him. They're just part of it,
1: you know. Yeah, it's just part of part of. I mean, that's Isaiah forty-five-seven, where God says, "I create light and darkness. I create good and evil. I, you know, the Lord usually is translated, do yeah. all these things." So, yeah, it's a very radical theology to hold. So, my guest today was Professor Dennis Covington. He's the author of Revelation A Search for Faith in a Violent Religious World. You can learn more about Dennis at depts.ttu.edu dot dot slash Covington. Dennis Covington, thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations.
0: Thank you, Romy. It's my pleasure.
1: Mine as well. Support for this week's edition of Essential Conversations is provided by John Maxwell Taylor's Gravida Award-winning performance on the life of Swiss psychiatrist Carl Gustav Jung, entitled Forever Jung. It's now available in a deluxe 3D audio set. To learn more, please visit johnmaxwelltaylor.com. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit spiritualityhealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats. And download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker and our program coordinator is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami, thanks for listening.